0: the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is Is AV AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. Learn more at atlona.com. Hello! Welcome to XR Star, your monthly podcast where we talk all things extended reality and metaverse. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Coleman. After years of anticipation, Apple have finally announced their move into the XR market with the Vision Pro headset. Ushering in what they call the era of spatial computing, it overlays digital content onto physical spaces. With their new operating system, Vision OS, apps are navigated with eyes, voice, and hand movements. At $3,499, the device allows you to record from your glasses to create 3D memories, play games or consume content at large room size scale, collaborate with 3D models, and access your favorite apps. Shipping is scheduled for early 2024 in the U.S., followed by release into other countries. Meanwhile, Meta have announced that the Quest 3 will come out this fall, following their annual Connect conference on September 27th, and cost $3,000 less than the Vision Pro, retailing at just $499. Zuckerberg posted ahead of Apple's announcement that the Quest 3 will be the first mainstream headset with high-res color mixed reality, 40% thinner and more comfortable, a standalone device compatible with Quest 2's entire library with more titles coming. And he called it their most powerful headset yet. With Samsung and Google also collaborating on an XR headset expected to be unveiled later this year, This all indicates a new wave of XR forging its way into our lives, but who will come out on top? What are the real benefits of exchanging traditional screen interfaces for headsets? Are people ready? And what does this mean for the future of work and entertainment? To help us answer some of these questions and more, I am thrilled to welcome XR and Metaverse expert, Tom Fisk editor of Immersive Wire. Welcome, Tom. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's a pleasure to join as well. Um, thank you so much for the introduction. I'm looking forward to having a good chit chat.
0: Yeah, pleasure. So to begin, would you mind telling us a bit about how you first got into this industry and what led you to XR?
1: I was really, really bored. Um, to go into further detail, um, I was in a, it was a meetup in London, right? And uh, they were showing off something called the whiz Dish. Now, the whiz Dish is where you can run in the same spot and you just don't move in real life. So you can wear a VR heads and just kind of like whirl all around. Um, the, back in 2016, there was an application where it's like Pac-Man, but in first person, where you're running away from ghosts in a maze, which you just kind of run around in. And that was my first experience with virtual reality. And I was like, hey, this, this is actually quite fun. What I then decided to do was I basically just went in and just saw some other experiences as well. And I started a precursor blog called Virtual Perceptions out of my interest in immersive technologies. So I've always been quite a spatial person as opposed to like Web3, just to give you my background. Uh, Then in 2020, I started a newsletter. The newsletters got bigger than the blog. So I folded the brand identities together and Uh, The Immersive Wire has been growing healthily since um, where I've just been analyzing it each week for the last many, many years, um, which has been um, as part of my hobby for some time.
0: Well, I'm a big fan of the Immersive Wire. I read it every Monday, I think, when it comes out. And and that's really cool. So what exactly is your job? What do you do on kind of a day to day?
1: My job is I... um By day, I work at a company called Accenture, and Accenture is a tech consultancy. Uh, I do specialize in um, immersive technologies Uh, with a separate hatch, and by night, uh, I work in the um, the immersive wire, which is a newsletter uh, dedicated uh, towards immersive technologies as a whole. So when it comes to the Venn diagram, obviously the expertise of one and the other do kind of draw parallel, but ultimately it comes down within my overall uh, passion which is um, the role and relevance of immersive technologies and the spatial internet, uh, which I, I'm sure, Amelia, you share the same views on. I also know that we both worked together on the um, XR Awards, so I know we discussed a fair bit on that too.
0: Yeah, no, that was really fun. It was great to um, to see the winners and stuff announced, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, really good fun. And so I wanted to jump into all this headset news that we have been seeing And to start with the Apple Vision Pro, because this one is huge and has been in development for years. So what was your biggest takeaway from the recent announcement? And how do you think this product is different from maybe anything else that we've seen before or that's on the market currently?
1: Well, I find it fascinating that it's more of a blend of realities as opposed to an overlay. Uh, it does strike me when it comes to uh, competitors' um, offerings, where it's more developing a immersive space where you're fully within a virtual world. Apple does supply the same kind of thing, but they do more focus on the fact that you can blend real life and the virtual together. And it's that blend which perhaps humanizes the technology to some extent in a very different way. Um, people fixate on the price. I would argue that The customer lifetime value of each of the users who buy the headset is probably quite high. So the better question to ask is how much money will be able to be made from each of the people who be using the Apple headset? Uh, Additionally, I think the proposition is really strong. I've not tried it yet. And uh, Amelia, I'm willing to think that you haven't tried it yet either, although we both do want to have a go. Um, I have a strong suspicion the technology is, is genuinely as good as the impressions say. I'm just personally very unsure about the eyes it's because when you wear, wear the headset, you've got these little eyes blinking out, uh, with pixels. And I'm just personally kind of unsure about that. I want to hear your thoughts on it too, actually.
0: Yeah, I haven't tried it yet. I would love to try it. I know in the videos, part of what they say is that you can still look someone in the eye and have those conversations and that I like that it seems to be inclusive of your environment and the people around you, which I think is a really important selling point. I think I was a bit disappointed that there didn't seem to be any, there, there, as far as innovation, there wasn't something that I was like, oh, oh, you know, like, Wow. I haven't seen that before. I never thought of that. You know, there's, there's, I think they're probably doing some things better than maybe competitors in some of those spaces. But, um, I, I also on the same side understand that idea about humanizing it, which you mentioned and making it an interface that is a bridge from what people are already used to doing on their phones and computers, just doing it in a different way inside their homes that uh, maybe gives them a bit more freedom of movement, freedom of space, and maybe interacts with their environment a bit more. But I don't know, did you get a wow factor that you weren't expecting off of it or?
1: I actually disagree on the innovation side. So one of the impressions I saw, which was quite compelling was um, they got this chip where the latency is uh, I believe this is eight times faster than the blink of an eye. And the reason why that's so important is because um, okay. one is motion sickness. So, if your latency is that good, then you're less likely to feel motion sick in your virtual space. And the second thing is um, apparently selecting options in the headset feels almost telepathic. So, you could literally just look at what you want to select, and then you can do this and you select it. So, I can imagine going through menus and going through the virtual systems faster than the controller you're literally looking where what you want to do and, do and then just clicking, clicking, clicking. So I can see the user experience to be a little bit heightened compared to using a controller. Though, of course, it lacks you know, the tactile feeling of a controller. You've It's not as complex as having buttons, which is a, a downside in relation to using solely hands and voice and eyes.
0: No, that's a really good point. And I hadn't actually considered that, but I think you're right. Um, I think there's also that interesting thing about... I know they've made a bit of a big deal saying we're going to keep it private where you look uh, around sort of being able to track your eye movements and stuff. I think that is really interesting to me because of all the subtle and subconscious reactions that we can have with our eye movement. Uh, So what was your thoughts around the kind of that privacy angle that they're that they're spinning?
1: It, it's the fact that it's an overlay of interactions, and I what you see, which is not is used by apps, but not uh, kind of memorized by Apple. is a It's definitely been baked in, and I think it's a very smart move on Apple's side to follow their messaging when it comes to privacy. Um, it is probably a selling point as well when it comes to going to market because privacy is something for people do care about, and. I wonder when there's the inevitable marketing push in early early next year, to what what areas they're going to be focusing on. I wonder if also, and this is a slight tangent, but I'm just curious about it myself. Apple's famous for their stores and how good the stores are for selling the goods they have. It's very experiential. They do all sorts of things like the endowment effect to ensure that people feel affiliation with Mac products when they shop there. I wonder how they're going to sell the Vision Pro in these stores because there's going to be a lot of people who want to try them out. Um, they'll be sharing headsets that will need to be cleaned. There'll be queues to try them out. Um, I don't know how they'll manage those queues. Uh, I don't know if it, they're going to. I don't know. The logistics behind it seem potentially quite troublesome. But if they get the logistics right about showing the Vision Pro in these Apple stores, I think. They'll have a leg up compared to other competitors who don't run their own stores and th- therefore don't have that natural footprint.
0: There was a rumor at one point that they were going to do something like only sell one a day out of each store or something. Um, don't know where that rumor came from, but it was a comment about how great their marketing strategy is and I think it was probably just speculation but it is interesting so I can't wait to see what they do.
1: I mean I, I don't think it's a strong marketing strategy where stock only sell one a day. Let's feel like that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are your predictions for it? Do you think it's going to sweep the market? Do you think how do you how do you see it going?
1: I I have a soft suspicion it will sell well. Um I not it's not lost on me that Apple has a very powerful brand power. So Uh, Morning Brew did a survey, I think it was like one or two years ago, looking at brand affiliation when it comes to selling um, immersive technology headsets. Apple was leading when it comes to brand perception with VR, even though they've not sold any VR headsets or even Mm. announced any VR headsets. They were ahead of other companies, even though they did, at the time, nothing. So. It's not lost on me that that brand power will help them to move those headsets for those diehard people um obviously i share the views with everyone else that it is not for everyone Three thousand five hundred pounds is very expensive and you'll have to be an absolute nerd to want to buy it but i I, th- I have a strong suspicion that there are prosumers with deeper pockets which are more likely to buy it and spend more on the platform do you share the same views
0: yeah i mean i think it it is a bit more than the what was it? The Magic Leap, I think, was the, or was it Hololens? One of them was around, I think, the twenty five hundred mark, maybe three thousand. So I think it's still a bit more expensive. But when I worked for agencies and stuff, you know, this was an investment that we we saw as a worthwhile investment. But that was one for an entire company, as opposed to individuals. You know, it's not. Um, there's, there's a whole thing in the, com- in the industry about, you know, that perception of it being a shared technology versus an individual technology, which I think it'll eventually get to when we finally have the computing and processing and networking power to all have our little smart, sexy glasses that we wear around whatever we want. Um, so I think this is a really smart step in getting people to develop for their stores and with their systems. I think it, but I see it as a stepping stone to kind of where they really wanna go eventually, but we're just kind of not there yet. So yes, I'm dying to try it. But then what is your opinion about where this puts the quest? So I thought it was really um, kind of funny that Zuckerberg came out and wanted to announce the quest before they announced the quest, but before Apple got in there and announced what they were gonna do. Um, they've had quite a bit of success so far with the quest and uh, and it is more affordable. What do you think, how do you think their strategy is going in XR so far? And do you think that they're going to continue down the same path?
1: I do think that Meta is going to be focusing on, I mean, there's only speculation, I don't know. I have a strong suspicion though that increasing the number of VR headsets in the market, which they can then run as a platform, similar to gaming companies, is a viable business prospect. And that comes down to good quality hardware, which uh, they then sell in. The uh, Quest 3 does look very cool. The pass-through is something I'm really curious to try out, for example, and I'd love to see how that goes too. I do think that if you look at them side by side, I mean, there are other competitors as well. We've got Pico, for example, who do their own headsets. We've got HTC, or have If we're looking at, for the moment, at just Quest and uh, Apple, you, you've got one headset, which is like, looks incredible, but it's $3,500. Another headset, which is great for what you wish to do when it comes to gaming and to an extent of work for $500. For most people, the Quest seems more appealing. I've also seen stats, at least in the UK, where the cheaper headset generally wins when it comes to holiday periods. So the when there was a year where the Oculus Quest and the Oculus Go were being sold in the UK, the headset that sold the most in Christmas was not the Quest, even though it is the better headset. It was the Go because it was £150 and it just like outsold the Quest quite drastically. So. We're dealing with a price elastic market where I do believe the Quest will sell really well just because regardless of quality, price seems to be the main differentiator for consumers.
0: And question, I honestly don't don't know this one at all. And it just occurred to me, what is Apple's relationship with the gaming companies?
1: Well, uh, it does feel like they rather own the uh, platform rather than make games themselves. Um, so... Obviously, they uh, announced the headset at WWDC because they want developers to create titles and software for it, which is why they've done it. And I'm curious to see what games will be developed. I have a personal suspicion that free-to-play games will not do as well because you don't buy a $3,500 headset to play free-to-play games. I just don't see that as being a viable business proposition. But I do suspect that... Apple is doing things like Reality Composer and um, improving their Metal engine so that more software can at least be imported onto um, the system for it to be used. I'll be, I will be—I mean, this is a soft suspicion, but I wonder if like real-time strategy could work really well, for example. Not all real-time strategy could work could run well on it because it's an M2 chip uh, and I just need to stop checking the amount of RAM and other components. But I, I, I'm a bit of a nerd, but I would love to try some real-time strategy in my VR headset. We'll see.
0: Yeah. And have you heard anything about the Google Samsung Qualcomm headset that we can anticipate? Do you have any insider knowledge on that one?
1: I don't mean to mislead you in any way, and I genuinely have absolutely no idea what's happening with them as well. Uh, so, <laughs> like like you, we'll see. Cool.
0: Any, um, what, you mentioned several other companies like Pico and Vario and HTC. Um, is there anyone that you are particularly keeping your eye on or any other ones that you think could be potential disruptors in this space that we should be aware of have on the radar?
1: Pico is the main one, uh, partially because it's backed by ByteDance and obviously ByteDance is a fascinating company to follow at the moment from a social media perspective. I'll be curious of what bike Dance's overall strategy is with uh, Pico and see how it expands globally and, and it goes from there because I know Pico is not Pico is not sold in the u s for example so it's like in Asia and Europe which strategically I find it quite fascinating um, and obviously I following near neantic as well as afro as well because from a immersive um, quote unquote, real world metaverse perspective, I find it quite a fascinating proposition.
0: And do you think Niantic, who are they partnering with from a hardware perspective?
1: I believe it's Qualcomm. Like if I remember right, they made an announcement with Qualcomm when it comes to like a, um, I I believe it's like, because Qualcomm what they do is they make designs for like certain types of hardware. And um, if you work with Qualcomm, you could then use that design as a basis to then build and tweak for your own hardware products. I believe uh, Neantic worked with Qualcomm for one such design when it comes to augmented reality. And I believe that's the depth of the relationship which I'm aware of.
0: And with all these announcements that we have seen, what do you think this means for the adoption and application of XR in the next couple of years?
1: It's still going to be relatively, it's going. To, the line's going to go up, um, but it's not, an exponential technology. So, if you compare um, XR headsets to the, the components of PCs or mobile phones, it comes to technologies and their adoption. The qualities that make sure that those technologies are exponential are not present in XR. One key one being is very difficult to show to a friend, or is more difficult to showcase its capabilities. So, I do think that. Uh, the line is just going to be quite steady uh, for the most part. Um, That's not to say we won't see more millions of people use it over time. I just, I don't know. It's going to be quite steady. I mean, you and me you've been in the industry for some time, and I suspect you share the same views.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it kind of leads into my next question, which is that idea, so if this is where we're at now, what do you think is going to be the biggest difference that we're going to see in the market, say, around 2030?
1: Twenty thirty? Oh no, I am not a futurist, so yeah. it's very difficult for me to like pin out. Um, I, I am, I I'm, am going to look back at this podcast and think, "Damn, Tom was so wrong." I, I suspect we're still going to <laughs> have hardware issues. Like, I genuinely mm. like the hard the hardware difficulties of putting effectively a computer in something in the thin form factor of glasses. I genuinely still am sure that's going to happen. Um, so, and I'm unsure that'll happen by 2030. I, I know that there's going to be AR specs that will be released over the next few years, which will be thinner, but I can't see and match the um, form factor of this without burning your face off due to thermal throttling. So I don't know, what we'll, we'll see.
0: And what about getting a bunch of people, like thousands of people or millions of people into a same virtual room together? I know that we are restrained on that right now a bit. How do you see that going? How is that changing? What's your thoughts on that?
1: We're seeing some innovative companies pushing on that. So there's M Squared, made by improbable which is offering the tools for interoperable worlds. Uh, I need to look deep into that to see what the actual capabilities are. One company which I find exciting is called RP1. RP1 has tweaked the net code so that they could theoretically have 100,000 people within the same instance of an online WebXR world. So you could be in an online space with 100,000 people in your same area. So this is not like uh, World of Warcraft or RuneScape or other video games where it's divided, it's all in one space and it's all 100,000 people. Now, obviously, that's not been tested yet. There's not been that many people in the virtual space as of yet. So I'm curious to see if that technology could be pushed or something bigger, like, I don't know, let's put Beyonce in a virtual space and just let her rip and see what happens.
0: Absolutely, I would be there for that. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I want to ask you, you wrote a great article recently about spatial computing versus the metaverse. And I know that there might be some people listening who aren't familiar with the term space, spatial computing. So i wondering if you can explain that a bit and also your thoughts on how it is different or relates to the metaverse.
1: Certainly. So the long and short of it is I believe spatial computing is a subset of a wider metaverse. So spatial computing, based on Apple's definition and market movements, is a, basically a new type of product category and design mindset, where you create software and hardware based around spaces. So being interact with virtual objects, uh, existing in virtual locations and be able to speak to other people as well. I believe that all of those elements form a component of a wider metaverse, and a, which is why I think if you think of a Venn diagram, it kind of income, one encompasses the other. Now, when I p- published that article, thank you for referencing, by the way. Um, when I published the article, there were people who argue that spatial computing is the major set. And the metaverse is a subset within it because spatial computing is arguably uh, the way in which you kind of build for what the metaverse is. We're talking about terminology and I I would argue that the answer to come out of this is not going to be anything I say. It's not going to be anything people are going to say on LinkedIn, thankfully. It's more likely going to be um, how people are going to be... Using the hardware and what kind of terms they use themselves, like we haven't used the information superhighway for many years, um, thankfully. Um, and I wonder that the metaverse of special computer could fall within the same linguistic graveyard over time.
0: And thank you for making that point. I absolutely agree. I think you know we argue over you know does the metaverse exist? Is are these can we call these gaming worlds metaverses? All this kind of stuff. And to me, it is a linguist issue. And it just is an indicator that we are in this nascent stage of development and that as the technology evolves and out of the needs to be able to communicate around it, new words will emerge and be adopted and um, and will evolve. Our, lang- our language will evolve along with the technology, hopefully, because we can just go around and around in circles on some of these things, can't we? <laughs>
1: We certainly can.
0: So I wanted to also ask you about that article that came out about um, Cornell University uh, hypothesizing that the metaverse is going to reduce our carbon footprint. And I have some thoughts and feelings about this, um, but wondering what your or if you could maybe give a summary for our listeners if they haven't um, read the article, what it was about and also maybe your thoughts on it.
1: Yes, so the, um, the researchers at Cornell University, which, by the way, from a special competing perspective, Cornell University is very well trusted. So, if their researchers are outputting research in relation to it, I do trust them uh, to some extent. They hypothesize that metaverse technologies will decrease global temperatures by 0.02 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. Now, I raised an eyebrow on this, and I know Emilia raised an eyebrow on this as well. My perspective for why I raised my eyebrow was I made a few assumptions about what the metaverse could be by the end of the century, which might not be true. And to put a Celsius number to it um, is very difficult to do because we don't know what the metaverse is really going to look like even to begin with. Um, so I'm very careful about making statements like that. I think you share the same views.
0: Yeah, so I recently did a TED talk on asking the question, is the metaverse bad for the environment? And I compared it to kind of what we know about gaming and the carbon footprint of that. And if we take that and assume that that's 2D and we take that data footprint and then we make it 3D and we don't just apply it to gamers, but we apply it to everybody who is on the internet that that's quite a significant footprint. And, you know, when we talk about moving from a 2D internet to a 3D internet, that means that we're moving from 2D data to 3D data. So it's all going to expand exponentially. And so for me, I, I... I feel like that is something that is not talked about enough and that we should be talking about. And as we design these new technologies, we need to be considering the sustainability and the footprint along with it to make sure that, you know, it is sustainable and going to be something that we can all use. But I also think there's that assumption around, you know, I travel is a luxury, right? And I think people like to travel. And I think as, especially as, you know, AI does things for us that, you know, maybe we don't like to do the things that we do like to do are going to be continue to become more precious. And, um, and to assume that people won't want to travel or have those face-to-face connections when we can do it virtually, I think is a big assumption.
1: I agree that's a huge assumption and that perspective on the primacy of real life interactions, I think is really critical. This is all, also partially why I do like the messaging of what Niantic is saying when it comes to real world metaverse, because I think that more human approach to technology is, is more likely to dominate compared to locking ourselves in our bedrooms in VR headsets. Having said that, i um I did hear that Apple head is so good when it comes to sports watching, and it wouldn't surprise me that there'll be new season tickets where you'll be able to watch sports venues by yourself I'm using VR headset, where it looks like you're at the front row seats with like stats you can see just on the right hand side and analytics it would not surprise me there'll be um people who rather than just watch sports games with friends they watch it by themselves and just have a good time and have that more immersive experience we'll see very cool
0: yeah or or even doing it with other friends who are in their headsets or maybe headsets on the other side of the world i don't know it would be really cool i am interested in that i think it's a great idea
1: i'm interested in it too and i hope hopefully I'll it will develop in that way
0: so wanted to take it to the bigger picture for a minute and ask you what is your biggest fear for the future of this industry and what is your biggest hope
1: Oh, goodness. Uh, I think I should have drunk a beer first before that question. Um, So, I guess my biggest fear... I've just talked about isolation when it comes to sport and the monetary opportunity. But ironically, isolation is the one which I'm most worried about. We are getting lonely and lonelier um, as a species. Stats have shown us having less and less friends, feeling more isolated. And having difficulty reaching out when required, and I think if these immersive technologies are as all-encompassing as I suspect, then that might exacerbate the problem. My the counterpoint to my own point is I also know there are virtual communities which come together and are a bit more made more powerful because of this immersion. Um, so. I mean, there's the furry community who absolutely loves to wear them, um, come together and as a community. And for example, which shows the power of it too. Uh, so, I would say isolation is a key one. I think we're going to have little pockets where people are connected regardless, but I think, taken as a whole, when it comes to our black mirrors that we have, because we need to be careful. Then, I guess my biggest hope, as in the thing which I'm most looking forward to when it comes to technology, is. Just some new storytelling experiences uh I, I i don't know if you know this amelia but i'm very much a nerd when it comes to my storytelling the tattoos i put my arms on all linked to stories which i like i've got a book here at the moment i'm reading john gwynn on the hunger of the gods which i'm loving at the moment these technologies will supports new ways of telling a good story and I'm really excited to see what kind of new stories will come out when it comes to these immersive technologies.
0: I think that is such a great point and it is really exciting. I think we're coming up on a convergence between technology and gaming and uh, film and TV in ways that we ha- are just starting to begin to imagine and I think that's really cool when you can be that character inside the book or the game or um the series and experience it from first person point of view uh, that's going to be really cool so thank you for that and if people are listening or watching and they want to find your your newsletter your blog or get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do so?
1: if you wish to follow my ramblings i promise you they're more concise in my answers than my interview then you may be able to find me at um, www.immersivework.com. We'll be able to find the newsletter. Um, yeah. If You you can also find me on LinkedIn. Just remember to put the extra F in my name. I know it's quite rogue, but you got it. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well on Twitter if you wish to follow me there too. But I want to say it's been an honor to... Um, join you on this podcast and to have this conversation as well and to go a little bit deeper into the Apple headset and beyond
0: thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights with us today i know i learned a lot and i'm sure our listeners have too and we'll be sure to link to the immersive wire in our show notes because i highly recommend it everybody should check it out and thank you so much for everything and really enjoyed our talk today
1: thank you so much and
0: thank you all so much for watching and listening i will see you again next month Take care.